Thank you, Riley. Welcome, if you're just joining us now online for podcast or otherwise, I'm Bryce Feitner. This is Green Street Church in Progress in Hastings, Michigan. Our message for today is lead us not into temptation. And I have just two more short verses to add to what Riley just read. Mark 1, 12 and 13. At once the Spirit sent him, Jesus, out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and angels attended him. May God add his blessing to the reading of his holy word. Let's pray today with our singing. The words are in your program. Join me if you'd like. Come Holy Ghost, our souls inspire, enlighten with celestial fire. Thou the anointing spirit art, who does thy holy gifts impart. Amen. Lead us not into temptation. We pray that every time we pray the Lord's Prayer, often without thinking. Let's think about it more deeply this morning. What leads you into temptation? And what are you going to do about it this Lent? There was an ad campaign I remember as a kid. The phrase went something like, don't help a good boy go bad. If it wasn't quite like that, that's the way it should have been. And the idea was, don't leave your keys in your car, lock your cars so that the kid wouldn't steal the car, you know. Not that stealing a car is the worst thing for a kid, but apparently it's a starter crime and it's a first crime. And so they start there and they get, well, deeper and deeper into crimes. Don't help a good boy go bad. Don't know if it was always boys. I suppose some girls did that. I don't know. But the ad campaign was, don't help a good boy go bad. Lead us not into temptation. Lock your car doors. Take the keys. And that campaign used to irk my dad. At least he pretended it did. He's a good boy. You shouldn't have to lock your car. He liked to play the devil's advocate with me to make me think deeper about the Bible and spiritual things, which... I'm forever indebted to him for that. Don't help a good boy go bad. Lead them not into temptation. At the same time, my dad and my mom, they used to get really upset at certain relatives of ours who would treat their kids harshly when they would touch fancy things, break them maybe, and tell them not to, and slap their little patties. And my parents would say, why didn't they just put it up out of reach? So as not to tempt the kids, it used to make them mad. Lead us not into temptation. I had a seminary professor, professor of Christian ethics. And ethics was my major, if you will, my first trip through seminary. And this guy was from downtown Detroit, ETS, Ecumenical Seminary, which was not in a particularly good neighborhood. 
And he used to bring forth some wild and crazy ideas in our class sessions, I'll tell you. He was a wild and crazy looking guy. I remember one time we, we were talking about the, how this neighborhood down there, they didn't have a legitimate bank. You know, they had check cashing places, loan shark kind of places, but there wasn't a legitimate bank in the neighborhood and there was a campaign going on to, to bring a real bank to this neighborhood. And my professor said, oh no, that's terrible. That will hurt this neighborhood. All a, all, a, all a legitimate bank will do is take the money from the poor people and then loan it to people out in the suburbs. Because the people around here, they're not going to say they're credit worthy. They're just going to suck more money out of this area. He said the, the check cashing places are better. At least keeps the money local. <laughs> yeah, he was like that. Well, he actually lived in that neighborhood. The rest of us, most of us students, commuted in from long distances away. And get this, he didn't follow the advice of that ad campaign I talked about. He always left his keys in his car, his doors unlocked all the time, and his car was never stolen, never. Admittedly, he drove older, cheap cars like I do. If you don't have much, you don't have to worry about locking it up. You don't have to worry about protecting it because it's not that tempting to people. When I was a farmer, I would leave my keys in everything, trucks, tractors, cars. We'd park them all over the, all over the county as we were doing work. I never had anything stolen. But you know, I have a, I have a ring of keys here at church, and this is only about half of the ones. I have another ring of keys like this too just to get around here at church. And, th and those aren't all of them. I mean, Becky has a drawer full of keys and there's a whole board full of keys in, well, the sacred closet, which is locked to get into to begin with. We have a lot of keys. We lock things. I suppose so as not to tempt a good person to go bad. But I certainly am tempted to think bad things, sometimes say even bad things when I'm trying to get something done around here and I don't have the code or the key. And you know, only certain people get certain keys to certain places. Even I don't have all the keys to everything. And you know, at the same time, when we lock something, it automatically wants us to why can't I get in there? I want to get in there. It always creates that desire, doesn't it? Just by locking it. Just by locking it. Call it human nature, if you will. Call it the original sin. Adam and Eve, as Riley read this morning in that passage. The keys to paradise, so to speak. They had access to everything they needed, everything a person could want. Everything good to do. And they had freedom to choose. Except there was one thing that they couldn't do, and that was that fruit, that tree in the middle of the garden. And God said, that's your limit. So, of course, that's what they wanted. <laughs> of course, that's what tempted them. Oh, they blamed everyone they could. Adam blamed Eve. Eve blamed the serpent. But that's human nature too, isn't it? We always blame someone else for our free choices. 
spill your coffee on yourself in the restaurant and sue the restaurant, hurt someone by driving drunk and blame the alcohol, develop lung cancer from smoking and sue the tobacco companies. We all need to blame somebody else for our bad choices. Adam and Eve were just tempted because they couldn't have it. They, they couldn't do it. It's that thing that we want, that we can't have, that tempts us. Bill Clinton, when he fell from grace with Monica Lewinsky, was asked afterwards why he did it. And I remember this, it was a 60 Minutes interview. He said, I guess just because I could. <laughs> there were no limits to his power, no limits to what he could get away with, he thought anyways. We all need limits, don't we? We all need some limits so as not to lead us to temptation. Adam and Eve even had the image of God within them, as we do, but that wasn't enough. They wanted more. They wanted to be God. Verse 5, for God knows when you eat of it, that fruit they couldn't eat from, your eyes will be opened. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. <laughs> Being like God. That carries some heavy responsibilities, doesn't it? Do you really want to be like God? We like to play God. We like to talk like we're God. But would you really want to be God? Why does God do this or that? Why does God allow this or that? Why do little children starve and suffer? Why does God allow people like Hitler or Putin to even exist? Can you answer those questions? Well, if you want to be like God, you have to. You have to. Even we, being made in the image of God, as we all are, carries with it some pretty heavy responsibilities, doesn't it? We're transcendent beings, I like to say. We're transcendent because we can get outside ourselves. You can say what you will about animals being able to think, and to some extent they can. But only humans are transcendent. They can get outside themselves looking at themselves. They can self-examine themselves. They can think about themselves thinking about themselves. Don't think about that too long. That'll drive you crazy. And another thing we have in that image is we're, we have freedom. We have freedom of choice. And for some, that freedom is liberating. And for others, that freedom is something they can't bear that responsibility, it's damning. The freedom itself, living with no limits, is just too tempting. There are limits and boundaries before which we all must bow. Even if we could do more, even if we could know more. Albert Einstein, who is most commonly famous for being that really smart guy with the really, really bad hair, was smart in ways that most of us don't understand. We accept his scientific smarts, his, his 
contributions to physics and nuclear energy and nuclear weapons and all that kind of stuff, but we neglect his philosophical smarts, even his borderline theological comments. He said some really profound things in that regard, like God doesn't play dice with the universe, which wasn't saying he believed in a God like Christians believe in God, but still that the universe was not random. And you know, he tried to warn us about our human nature, what would happen if it had no limits. When he said so many years ago, it was 1945 actually, he said, the unleashed power of the atom has changed everything, except our way of thinking. <laughs> and therefore, we drift towards unparalleled catastrophe. The power of the atom has changed everything except our thinking, except who we are as human beings. An unparalleled catastrophe result is that uncontrolled, unlimited aspect goes further and further. We human beings have not changed. We have not changed since the beginning, since the time in the Garden of Eden, despite our ever-increasing knowledge, despite our ever-increasing eating of that tree of knowledge. And I think what changed everything, the unparalleled catastrophe, was not so much the dropping of the atomic bomb on Hiroshima. It was not so much that killing of six million Jews during World War II or the seven million Orthodox Christians in the Ukraine at World War II. Most people don't even know about that genocide. I don't even think it was that horrendous event on our soil, September 11, 2001, which we remember. Nor is it the invasion of Ukraine by Russia right now. It wasn't any of those catastrophes, I think. I, I think he's talking about well, by knowledge and technology and working together with evil, the catastrophe was when we human beings assume that there's no limit to our power. There's no limit to our importance. We have learned painfully the consequence of living with no limits. Is there any solution to this dilemma? Well, early in his ministry, as you know from previous lessons, as Selena talked about, Jesus was tempted in all ways that we are. That's what the Bible said. He was tempted in every way that we are. And even he chose during that temptation event to live within certain limits. We read the very short version of that story today, just a couple of verses in Mark, because we've been studying Mark. On Ash Wednesday, Pastor Kim read a longer version from Luke, 11 verses, and, Mark, and Matthew's version is about the same length, much longer. And that's because Mark wrote his gospel first. We've talked about that. And then when Matthew and Luke came along many years later, one of the big issues the church was struggling with was whether Jesus was human. <laughs> It wasn't that he was divine. The reality was Romans and Greeks 
They had gods all over the place. They didn't have trouble accepting the fact that Jesus was divine. They had trouble accepting the fact that he was human. And one way they wanted to demonstrate he was human was, well, temptation. There's nothing that makes us more human and makes Jesus more human than being subject to temptation. So in those longer versions of this temptation account, we learn that he was tempted basically by three things. Bread when he was hungry, by taste, by sight. The devil took him to high places and showed him instantly all the kingdoms of the world that he could have if he bowed down before him. He was tempted with power. He was tempted to test God. And it's not too much to say that Jesus was tempted in every way that we are. That is what the Bible says. Verse 6 from our Genesis reading, So when the woman saw, sight, the tree was good for food, taste, food, it was a delight to her eyes, and that the tree was desired to make one wise. Taste, sight, power, pride, those are common temptations to all of us. And Jesus was indeed tempted in all the ways that we are as humans. Jesus was tempted the same way that those first humans, Adam and Eve, were in the same ways we are. And that's how we know Jesus was human. But Jesus resisted all those temptations, unlike Adam and Eve, unlike you and me. That's how we know he was divine. I asked you early in this message, what leads you to temptation? And what are you going to do about it? this Lent. Well, here's what's tempting me today. Right now. It's the most grievous sin I've ever had in my life. I can't get it out of my mind. It's the taking of another person's life. Every time I find my mind wandering, especially when I'm watching the news, I'm wondering and thinking about ways that we could take Putin out, if you will. I confess this before you. I know it's wrong. It's wrong in every way you can think. It's wrong for anyone, but especially for a Christian minister, a Christian ethicist. And it doesn't help to, to know that my most influential Christian ethicists in my life, Reinhold Niebuhr and Dietrich Bonhoeffer, struggled with the same thing. In fact, they yield to that same temptation. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, you know, after he was teaching as a fellowship here in America, he's from Germany, he goes back to Germany and gets involved in a plot to kill Adolf Hitler. He's a Christian ethicist. He wrote books on pacifism prior to that. And he came to the conclusion that there was no stopping this man. That plot was discovered. He was thrown in a prisoner of war camp. And he was hanged in that prisoner of war camp just a few days before the Americans liberated it. I'm not judging them for their thinking at that time. I'm just judging me for my thinking at this time. And for me, I know it's wrong for me to think that way. Why? Well, because Jesus said so. Jesus said to think it is just as bad as doing it. He said hate is just as bad as murder. Even hating your worst enemy is wrong. 
Jesus said, love your enemies. How can I overcome that? Lead us not into temptation. You know, you could interpret that line that we pray as if God is leading us into temptation, and I know some people do interpret it that way, but I don't think that's true based on other passages in the Bible which say contrary to that, that God does not lead us to temptation. I think it's more like the parent I was talking about earlier putting that fancy thing up out of the way of the child so it didn't tempt them. And so without even knowing it, the parent is helping the child steer clear of that temptation that will ultimately cause them pain. And so by praying, lead us not into temptation, it's like praying, God, help me discern those things that lead me to temptation so that I can steer clear of them before they lead me to sin. And for me, I've noticed that when I watch the news, that's when I'm most tempted to think those bad thoughts I told you about. So for Lent, <laughs> I'm not watching the news. That's what I'm giving up for Lent. I'm not watching the news, which is hard for me because I'm kind of a news junkie. But if I pray, lead us not into temptation, I better be willing to do something about it. Amen? There's a statue of Jesus 
You have been filled with the very grace of Jesus Christ. You have been forgiven. And incumbent upon that, just as we prayed, is that you will forgive others. Forgive your brothers and sisters. Abide now in faith, hope, and love. Judge not that he judge you forgive your sister and brother remembering that he forgave you remembering that he forgave you go in Christ's peace 